Uh, there's Children's Church. Am I, am I correct in saying so? there's Children's Church? Yeah, you can make your way down right now. And everyone else, uh, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 14 and 19 today as, uh, as we get going. And you'll notice that uh, I gave everyone a uh, scrap piece of paper. And this is what I'd like you to do. You don't have to do this. I'm not going to make you do anything weird or uncomfortable or embarrass you whatsoever, but um, I want you, during the service and during the message, I, I, uh, as a way to kind of um, practically out what we're, what we're going to learn today, I, I'd like you to write down, if you'd be willing, one personal challenge or trial that you are going through this week, this month, or this year, okay, that you wouldn't mind someone else praying for, okay? That's what you're doing. You're writing down a prayer request. And what I like is I like it something that you personally are struggling with. So not, not, nothing like, please pray for my aunt or please pray for my children and all that kind of thing. We want to pray for your aunts and we want to pray for your children. Uh, but today, I just uh, for, the, for the purpose of this exercise, pick something that you are, uh, it's a personal trial to you that you wouldn't mind people praying for, and then write it down. And then when you're done doing it, you'll, you'll notice that I put the offering plates at the front, just fold it up nicely, and pass it up to the front. I don't know if this will distract people or not, but we'll see how it goes. And uh, put it in the offering plate, and uh, we will do something with it at the end. Okay, So uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 13 all the way to 19, it says this. Uh, is my remote working? Is that me? That's me. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Starting at verse 13, it says this. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses, all, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father God, we gather here today under your care and protection, and we do thank you for your loving kindness that never fails us. We thank you for those who are with us, that you would guide us and be with our thoughts and actions to bring you glory today. We pray that you would strengthen us and fill us with your peace. And we may <clears throat> love each other as Christ has shown. Please, God, help us to know what this text says clearly and how to apply it to our everyday life. And the whole church said, Amen. So. Uh, as a way of introduction, I'm kind of wondering if you've ever been in a spot in your life where you have been at a loss for words. Anybody? Hands up? Yeah, you know. Uh, 
And, and particularly, uh, I want, I'm wondering if you've been in a situation where someone has come to you and di- discussed uh, the details of something that they're going through, some sort of trial, some sort of suffering, and, and, you're, and they're looking for a response from you. And it's one of those situations in your own life where it, it's not like ignoring a text. Have you ever done that where people kind of like share something with you and they're expecting a response and you just don't reply? Anyone done that? Oh. Yeah, I've done that, right? In, in this scenario, you couldn't, you, you need to respond, you need to say something, but you're not, you, you need to say something, but you're not really sure what to say, right? You're kind of at a loss for words and, and you're wondering like, do I say something? Do I not say something? Do I respond? What do I respond with? And is it going to make it worse or is it going to be better? Am I going to be like one of Job's three friends who has all this wise sage advice to say in a time of suffering but actually winds up not? Like what do I do when, what do I say when I don't know what to say? And uh, I don't know if, if I could be vulnerable for a minute and just kind of open up my heart to you. I would say that this like is one of my biggest insecurities as a pastor. Okay? There's a, there's a verse, Proverbs 15, 23, I believe, uh, that says that how right is a word in season. You guys, you guys are familiar with that? And how good it is to, to hear a word, how refreshing it is that breathes life. And I want you to know that, like, I realize that not every sermon that I'm going to give is going to be a home run. But I, I want you to know that I'm trying, I try my best to do that, that when I come up here, I want to be able to speak something that is a word in season, that speaks life. And I also want to be able to be the kind of person, when people come up to me and they're going through some sort of life crisis and they go through something that's, that's really hard and, and the situation is beyond my own wisdom to understand and beyond my, I feel like a sense of pressure or insecurity or I feel like I failed them because I don't have the right words to say. And uh, I, I realize that part of that is, is that my, it's my own flesh, my own sinful nature, my own pride, because I'm not wise enough to always do that. You know, the, the idea of having a word of, in season is, is a idea that I believe comes from the Lord, that the Lord gives us a word in season through his word that he speaks to us. And that I shouldn't put the pressure on myself to do it. But it, nevertheless, when someone comes to me in some sort of life crisis, or someone is discouraged and they are losing heart, they're looking for a response. And the situation would dictate that I can't just not respond. So if I don't know what to say, but I can't not respond, what do you do? Right? I believe our text helps us deal with that question today. Um, <clears throat> when you have someone that loses heart, when they come up to you and they are looking for a response and you, you're never, uh, you don't know what to say, I think our text deals with it because the truth of the matter is, is that if you follow Jesus and you're growing closer to Jesus, at some point someone is going to come to you for help that they're going through something, maybe their marriage is on the rocks, maybe something's happened in their job, maybe it's something with their kids, and they're just going to throw up the entire situation to you, looking for help, 
and you're going to be at a spot where you're at a loss for words and not sure what to say. And I think our text actually helps us deal with know exactly how, what to say and how to respond in that moment. So if you will turn to me, if you will look at the text one more time, let's look at this verse by verse. And let's start with verse 13, which says this. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. So we're going to start off with just a little bit of review. If you remember last week, we, uh, we learned that Paul had just spent two chapters Two and a half chapters talking about our standings in Christ and our blessings in Christ, that we're made alive in Jesus, that Jesus not only heals our sins, he heals our divisions. And because of that, there's no such thing of strangers among the people of God and uh, who identify as Christians. But then what happens in chapter 3 is that he knows that the Ephesians are hearing about his own suffering and they begin to lose heart. And what winds up happening is they begin to discourage. And the question that they are asking is all, is, is all this stuff, all the blessings, all the fact that I'm redeemed and chosen and I know the mystery and that I'm forgiven for my sin and that there's the dividing wall of hostility is gone and all the, all the, the fact there's no stranger, is it really worth the suffering that Paul is going through? Because if he's going through that, I know that we're going to be going through that. Is it worth it? And they begin to lose heart. So it seems like what he's doing in chapter 3, at least in the first 13 verses, is he's explaining why he's in prison. And essentially, it goes like this. Guys, God has asked me to make known the mystery of Jesus, make known make the mystery of Jesus plain to everyone. And actually, my arrest is helping to advance that cause, so don't lose heart. Okay? That's sort of the kind of paraphrased say, I would say, of the first 13 verses. Okay. But then what is interesting is he kind of sensed, maybe in his gut, I think it might be the Holy Spirit, is that explaining away his suffering isn't enough to alleviate the discouragement. So he actually stops trying to explain and he does something else. And in verse 14, he says this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Okay, so that's a mouthful in itself. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, guys, I'm about to pray, and I am about to go before the, the God whom every family in heaven and earth is named. What does that mean? Well, that means essentially that every family, every culture group, every people group originates fun, first and fundamentally by our creator with God. So guys, listen, I know you're discouraged, and I'm about to go to God in prayer and pray from you from whom we all find our origin and our identity in. Okay. And then there's something interesting else that happens in this text. And I want you to catch it. Okay. There's something weird because I don't know if you know it's weird or not because I almost missed it. Okay. It says this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. That's an unusual verse. What about it seems unusual? Any takers? Oh, come on, I'm not going to... 
Okay, close. Yeah, I would say it's this phrase right here. I bow my knees before the Father. Okay. What is interesting about that is that's not typically a way that people would pray in the first century. And even today, if you go to Jerusalem right now and go to the Wailing Wall and see Jews pray, usually what they will be doing is they will be standing or sitting, but rarely do they bow. Okay? It's not, and I want you to catch this very clearly, because it's not that bowing before God in prayer was wrong. It's just that it was unusual to do. It happens quite a, quite a bit in the, te- in the Bible. You see, it in Song, you see it in Solomon when he dedicates the temple. Uh, you see it in, uh, Ezra does it in Ezra chapter 8, verse 54. It happens in Psalms 95, verse 6. Daniel prays on his knees in, in uh, 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 Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. And most importantly, Jesus does it in Luke chapter 22, verse 41. But what's interesting about it is it is not wrong or, or inappropriate. It's just not the physical way that you would do it usually. And usually the only time that you would physically bow in prayer is when something was moving you, right? That, you, that something big was happening. Whatever you were praying about, it touched you deeply and it, it, it hit you on, on a level that you just kind of needed to kneel. So it's, it's not the typical way that you would pray. What I'm, I'm trying to get at is, and so why that's important for you and I know is because every commentator would suggest that, that this, when I looked it up, is, is that when he says that I'm bowing my knees before the Father, what he's saying is, is I have a deep, deep, deep concern for you. I'm, this isn't just like a, a, a prayer that I'm throwing up that I don't care about. I have deeply moved for you and that I'm praying for you. So I just thought that was an interesting note. And so what I want you to catch initially is this, is that when people are suffering and when people are discouraged, I think what Paul is saying is the best thing that we can do is pray deeply for another person, right? Oh, man. <laughs> right. Paul is, you have to understand this, like Paul is writing a letter. He knows that there's a little bit of discouragement or a lot of discouragement in the Ephesian church. He kind of explains a way a little bit to help alleviate it. But then he just starts praying deeply for them. He bows his knees and he says, I'm going to pray for you. And you know what is cool about manner? I love this. This is awesome. I'm going to, I'm sorry, Jim, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. I, I hope you don't feel embarrassed by this. But last AGM, okay? You guys remember what happened last AGM? Right? Last AGM, we came here. And Jim came up, and he was supposed to share a little bit about the history of Manor, but then he wound up sharing his heart for the Ukraine, and his heart broke. And what did everyone do? Bowed. This whole church, I tried to find a picture of it. This whole church got on their knees and bowed and prayed. Do you guys remember that? That was really, really cool. Why? Because the, the, the issue of what was happening in Ukraine was, wasn't just a normal prayer request. It was something that affected us deeply, and we prayed. It's that sort of thing. It's sort of the imagery going on here is, is that 
Paul is seeing that his friends are suffering, that they're discouraged, that they're going to lose heart, and he prays deeply for them. And I want to say something. I believe that matter can always improve our prayer life. I think we could kick our prayer life game up a notch. But I also want to say that if you've called manor home, I would stake my reputation on this claim that if you've called it home, I guarantee you that you've been prayed for specifically by name, rhythmically, by the Tuesday Zoom prayer meeting. Okay? So if you have called Manor home for the last three years, I want you to know that your life, your individual life, your family, your job, at least at a very, uh, we have prayed and covered you with it. Now, we haven't done it every day, and we haven't done it every meeting, but I guarantee you that you have been prayed for at least more than three times during the past three years, okay? Isn't that cool? Amen. Thank you, right? And all I also want to say, if you're relatively new to Manor in the last year, I can 50% guarantee that, Okay? <laughs> But what I want to say is that you have been prayed for day, week in, and week out by the same people. They get together on Zoom, and they suffer because they don't like Zoom. You used to see Mary Lou, right? Mary Lou gets there, and she's always frustrated at the, at the, at the Zoom stuff. But she says, I'm going to do it because if people can suffer for the Lord, I can suffer through this, right? <laughs> and she prays. And she prays for you. And so does Lawrence, right? Lawrence, who's going through a health issue, spends one hour every Tuesday lifting this church up, lifting you by name and prayer. Faith and Dale and Cliff and Helga. There's so many people that pray for you deeply. Not just a kind of one-off, throw a prayer up and have a... Th- it's a deep prayer. The kind of prayer that you would pray to bow your knees, Okay? <clears throat> in prayer, so that's what I would say is that if you're not sure what to say, I would actually encourage you to talk less and pray deeply. Right now, I know that that's actually not earth shattering to us. Right, you've probably heard that before, and you actually might say that's a little bit of a cope out. Oh yeah, that's the cat classic Christian phrase. I'm going to pray for you. But in reality, here's what's happening every time you pray. Every time you pray, you announce to the world that you're not the one in control, that you're not the wise sage, and that you need help, and that there is a God who is the wise sage and who is in control and who can help. And here's the trap that I personally fall into. Okay? I believe that if people just knew the right thing to do, they would do the right things. How many of you have fallen for that? You know, listen, like, it's especially true of James, right? <laughs> listen, I told you, do this and this and this, and, and you do it. And then, like, why aren't you doing it? And I get frustrated when he's doing it. But here's what I've learned about being a pastor. You can tell people the right things to do to the blue in their face. They won't do it, will they? Why not? Because they're not thinking with their head. I... I they're thinking with their, their hearts, their feelings, right? I remember, as, as a way of illustrating, I, I remember years ago before I came to Manor, I was helping a, a couple three, through premarital counseling. And 
in the story, uh, you know, you do those surveys, right? Whether you're compatible or not, and you ask all these questions, and, and, I, and I, got the, I got the answers back, and it was a disaster. Like, scale from one to 10, everything was a zero. Communication, zero. Like, uh, ability to resolve conflict, zero. Like, uh, times, and I was just like, okay, guys, either you didn't do this, or this test is telling me that your relationship is a mess, and you should not get married, right? And you know what happened? I, I kid you not, this is what happened. And I am quoting what they said to me, okay? Both of them individually came up and said to me, hey, I know that our relationship is awful, but here's the thing, Dan. She's hot, or she's beautiful, right? At that point, what am I working with? I'm not working with someone's rational thinking that going on. They're dealing with their emotions. And sometimes what happens is, is like I get so frustrated. Uh, I can get so frustrated because I get up here or I'll talk to somebody and said, okay, here's the steps that you do. Do this, 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 this. And then your problem will be solved and you'll be able to do it. And then they don't do it. And it's really because it, it's, it's, it's not an issue of the knowledge or the intellect. It's an issue of the heart. They just don't want to. And so what winds up happening is I get frustrated at that because I can't control it. But here's the thing. God can, right? God can move the heart. And so the trap that I fall into is is I think, man, like, I will fix this problem. So when you tell me that my friend is going to make, when you come to me and you're telling me that, hey, I have this friend that's going to make this big mistake and get a whole bunch of trouble, and they're in front of them saying, don't do it, don't do it, and you're trying to hold it back, and I've done everything I can, and I've exhausted myself, what you actually need to do then is pull back and start praying for them because when you function that way, what you're saying is that you don't and never have been able to control the issue, but God can, okay? But if you never pray for someone that is suffering, but you just keep telling them the right words all the time, it can come across as I can change people and I can change the circumstance if they would just listen to me, right? And they can get frustrated at that. Every time you pray for people's problems, you're saying, I'm done with what I can, but God can work with it. God, you can do something with it. I know that you're more powerful than this. And it is very humbling to Paul to do what he does here by bowing his knees before the Father and say, I'm going to take all this discouragement that you're dealing with, and and you're God and I'm not, And there just comes a point where you have to just pray that God would move because I am powerless to fix the problem for you. So here's the thing. I know that I know that a lot of us know that. So like that maybe it's better to pray for people when they're discouraged and and you don't know what to say and they're they're seeking you for advice. I think I think that's not something that I would have to argue that very hard for, but here's the thing is, is like, you might be sitting, okay, Dan, I get it. If people are hurting and you're not sure what to, what to do, you should pray. That's not exactly a shocker statement, but 
Well, the thing is, is I really struggle to know what to pray for them. How many of you have been in that situation? You're like, okay, you're going through a hard time. Um, I'm not sure what to do here, so I'm going to pray for you, but you really don't know what to pray for. Any hands? All right. All right. Well, our text is actually going to help us with that. And if you noticed very clearly, it's a very beautiful prayer. Okay. It's a very wordy prayer. But it's also a very simple prayer, isn't it? Because it's only a prayer requesting two things. Paul is praying that the Ephesian church would have two things. What are they? Strength and love. Right? Listen to what the text says here. For this reason I bow... My knees before the Father, from whom all heaven derives and earth derive their names, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be what? Strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now there's a lot there, so let me break it down for you. When it actually talks about, hey, I'm, I'm going to pray to God for you, and I'm going to pray that, that according to the riches of his glory, he might strengthen you. What does that mean? Well, that means, what, I, what I'm going to tell you that means is, is that my best understanding is this, is, is that you would be strengthened in a way that shows off just how rich and powerful God is. So let me kind of illustrate this for you. I, I hope this illustration makes sense. But imagine that somebody uh, comes to you uh, and uh, writes you a letter and says, you know what, I'm going to offer you a lot of money out of my riches, right? And, and let's just say we all know that those are scams, okay? We all know that, right? But let's just say for the sake of this illustration, that's true. Somebody is going to donate or give you a big, fat email transfer, a big, fat check, Right? And it says in the letter that, or the text message or whatever it is, I'm going to give it to you out of my riches. Okay? And you might be sitting there and going, well, yeah, where else is the money going to come from? From our riches. But here's, here's the thing about that, right? You don't actually know how rich he is. He could give you $1. He could be rich with $1. He could have $100 billion. You don't know how much money he has. But when it says that, if it said, I'm going to give you a substantial sum according to my riches, that changes things. Because that then says that I'm going to give you a big fat donation that shows off just how much money I have. And that's sort of the idea here in the text. Okay? is that when, you are, that when Paul is praying for strength for the believers, he's actually praying for it in such a way that says, listen, I, wanna, I want you to have strength to kind of show off or display how rich uh, or to scale or to according how rich God is. So it's not just this God give them strength to get by, Right? to just hold on by their fingernails. It's give them strength to display just how awesome, just how rich, just how powerful the God is in the situation. Okay? So that's sort of, I hope that kind of explains that situation. The other thing you'll notice is that it's not a physical strength, right? 
it's an inner strength. There is a dichotomy that happens on the inside and outside of every believer. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says that outwardly we are wasting away. So in that sense, I want you to understand that believers are no different than anyone else. We get older at the same rate as non-Christians or as the world. We fall prey to illness just like everyone else. We suffer from mental illness just like everyone else. We are, we are, we, we, our bodies are weak. They are deteriorating. So, uh, I could feel the other day, my hair just keeps getting grayer. <laughs> just because we are Christians, it doesn't mean we don't suffer the same issues as everybody else, does it? And that's an important thing to acknowledge that outwardly we are suffering away, that our bodies are wasting away. Outwardly, we do face the uncertainty brought by physical vulnerabilities in exactly the same way as everybody else. And for this reason, we believe like just like everyone else, we are prone to discouragement and also we face depression just like everybody else. We are wasting away. But if you remember what 2 Corinthians says, though outwardly we are wasting, we renew. Someone finished the verse for me. We are renewed. Right. Paul's prayer for strength is not on the outside, it's on the inside. Paul is praying because he knows that all the blessings you received back in chapter 1 are enough to strengthen you on the inside. Your inner being, that God would, God the Father on the inside would give you strength to hold on to those blessings. So the idea here is that if everything falls apart, that Paul is praying for an inner toughness, a resilience, that, that they would be able to face their their trials. Please don't think that this is one of those messages that you can make it on your own. Like you've had the strength inside you and you just discovered it. And you're like one of those motivational speakers, like the power is in you kind of thing. And it's always in you. Listen, like when the, when you're going through a time of suffering, what do people usually say? I can't handle it. It's, it's just too much. And the truth is you're right. You can't handle it. Okay. But who can Jesus. Jesus has enough strength to get you through what you are suffering through. Inner, <clears throat> so he's praying that inner strength would be granted to them. So it's something that's it's it's something that you, that you haven't always had inside, but that's something that now, by His Holy Spirit, you are you can tap into. So when people are struggling, I would say this is that the first thing you pray for when you, when you don't know what to pray for is pray for an inner strength or a resilience to never let go of the blessings or the promises of God. Okay? Now I'm going to tell you why you should pray for that in a minute. But let's go on to the second thing that he prays for. Right? So the second thing that you can pray for in this prayer is that you pray for love. Listen to what the text says. Going on halfway through uh, verse 17, picking up halfway through verse 17, it says this. That you, being 
rooted and grounded in, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you want to pray for someone, I'm going to ask you to pray this. Pray that the most powerful experience that would come out of their suffering would be to experience the love of Jesus. Because here's the thing. It's one thing to have strength. It's another thing to be loving, isn't it? And what Paul says is he wants the believers to know the love of Christ that surpasses on one all knowledge. And that actually seems a little weird. That phrase, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. <clears throat> because here's, here's what it's, what's, what's weird about that is how do, you, how do you know something that can't really be known? And what I'm going to say about that is if you translate the word knowledge correctly, it's not an intellectual knowledge, right? It's not like Paul is saying, listen, I want you to write a 30-page exegetical theological argument explaining the intellectual love of God. I want you to know or experience, it's an experiential love of God, right? I want you to be able to experience the love of God through this trial. And I know we all get tied up with experience and we're, we're weird about that, but listen, oh, just, just on a side note, I'm going to go on a bunny trail for a second. Did you know uh, there was a study that came out uh, two studies that came out in the last 10 years about youth ministry, and they looked at why youth walk away from God after graduation, and then they did another study to say, okay, why do the youth still, still keep going to church after high school? And you know what they found the number one common denominator was? Why kids stuck around? Because they experienced their faith in the family. Okay? In other words... It wasn't simply just that they were taught to trust God about their finances. They witnessed their family living it, okay? So, I, sorry, I digress, right? Anyway, um, I just thought that was cool. So the idea here is that, hey, I just don't want you to know about the love of God on an intellectual one. I want you to touch it. I want you to feel it. I want you to see. What does the word of God say? Taste and see that the Lord is good, Okay? And so what he's praying here is that the Christians in Ephesus would deeply be rooted in God's love for them, okay? There, is a, there are two great songs that I was, uh, I was thinking that uh, really explain this really well. One is a hymn and one is a chorus, and one is called uh, The Love of God, right? It's a very, very famous hymn, and we've sung it here before at church, and it goes like this. Could we... With the, sorry, could we with ink the ocean fill and where the skies of parchment made, where every stalk of the earth quill and every man a sky, sky by trade to write the love of God would drain the ocean dry. Isn't that awesome? Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That's so beautiful. There's another song that really speaks to this, and it talks about the idea. It's called, Oh, How He Loves Us, and it start, starts by, by this. 
It goes drawn to the redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. My heart turns violently sad in my chest, and I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves us. Paul wants the overarching experience in times of discouragement and suffering to be about experiencing and seeing the love of God, how much God loves you. He says it like this. I want you to know that that the love of God is wide enough to stretch out over and reach every kind of person and with every kind of race and every kind of issue and every kind of uh, affluence or wealth and every kind of past. That the love of God is wide enough to cover that. That the love of God is long enough You'll never exhaust his love for you. You will, never be, you will never wear out his love for you. You can never make a mistake so bad that he won't forgive you. That his love is high enough that he will raise you to be with him eternally. And so what he is praying is, is he's praying that they would have strength and love. And so here's what I would just say. Is that when you don't know what to pray for when someone is discouraged... Pray that they would have an inner strength, that God would give them an inner strength never to give up on all the blessings and promises of God and that the overarching experience they would go through, whatever trial they would be, would be to experience the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, why do you pray for those two things? Would anyone want to take a guess? Why those two things? Because when you are about to give up and lose heart, those are the first two things to go. The strength to hold on to God and your ability to believe that you are loved by God, right? What do people say when they're about to crash and burn because of their suffering? It's too much. I can't take it. Right? I can't hold on to it. I don't have enough strength. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's going to overtake me. I don't have enough. Right? It's easier just to, to not follow God and believe and, and, and find another way to cope with it than trust that God is faithful in the midst of suffering. Right? I want you to, I want you to consider for a moment the story of David. You remember the story of David in the Old Testament? That part of his story was that he was getting, uh, <clears throat> he was getting really famous, and Saul got really jealous and started chasing him throughout the desert. You guys remember that story, right? And so what winds up happening is there's two points. There's actually a few points where, where he says, okay, I'm trusting God in this instance, but man, I feel like giving up. One is when he's dealing with Abigail's husband. Remember that story? Is he, is, uh, is he kind of protects Abigail's sheep, or uh, sheep? What's his name? Someone help me out. What's that? What's that? Thank you. <laughs> okay. And uh, so later, later in the story, he kind of goes back and says, hey, can you help us out? We helped you out. And he kind of like, and he kind of says, no way whatsoever. And then what, what, what winds up happening? He takes matters into his own hands, doesn't he? He's, he gets his army ready, and he says, I'm going to kill him, right? Well, what he's doing there is, is he knows that it's wrong, and, and God actually does stop him through Abigail, but it's easier 
for him to take vengeance in that matter than to trust God. And when you and I are going through times of suffering, okay, there comes a point where God has asked us to, to be faithful to him, but we don't have the strength to hold on to that. And there's an, there are other ways to deal with it. This is one of the, it's, the one, it's the first thing that goes, doesn't it? I don't believe in God because of the suffering that I'm going through. And the other thing is that, is that when people suffer, they tend to question whether or not God loves them, don't they? Why would God make me go through this situation if he really does care for me? So there's those two things. I don't have enough strength to, to hold on to the promises of God, and I don't believe he loves me. So that's why Paul prays. Hey, strength, pray for strength for the believers. Pray that they would know the love of God. Okay? Is everyone good with that? Okay, I hope that's practical. So here's, here's what I'm going to do. Like, no one's actually put their cards up. So here's what I'm going to actually ask you to do. Uh, what's that? Sure, we'll play, play, please pass around. Okay. We're going to pass around the plates, and if you want, you can put your prayer request in the offering plate. And then what I'll do is, after the service, I will put the offering plate in the back, and I would like you to randomly grab out a piece of paper on the way back. And I want you this week to pray for that person these two things. That they would be strengthened to hold on, they would have an inner strength to hold on to God's promises. And they would experience the love of Christ through the suffering. Is that good? Is that good? Everyone smile and nod. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. And uh, I, I want to be guilty of idolizing my own wisdom above the need to come and pray. So I pray that we would always be a people of prayer. And if there are people right now that are going through some sort of trial or discouragement or something, and they, they, they're about to lose heart, God, I pray that they, you would give them an inner strength, an inner resilience to hold on to the blessings and promises of Jesus and that they would know the love of Christ in amongst their experience. And the whole church said, Amen. Amen.